Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website, ericlevy.com, under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy, and I am pleased to bring to you chapter 22 of the book of Job. Vayan Eliphaz HaTemani Vayomar. And Eliphaz the Temanite responded and said, Eliphaz begins the third round of discourse between Eov and his companions. And just as Eliphaz's second speech was more direct and accusatory than his first speech, and this third speech takes it to a whole new level of accusation. First, from verse 2 to verse 4, Eliphaz says, essentially, who do you think that you are that God should feel compelled to justify himself to you? In verses 5 through 11, Eliphaz finally enumerates Eov's sin, which is what Eov had been challenging the companion to do in the first place. The list, however, seems to be a little over the top, as we will see. In verses 12 through 4, Eliphaz explains how Eov misunderstands and therefore comes to blaspheme God. And through verse 20, he asserts that things do work out in the end, justice-wise. Finally, in the beginning of verse 2, and using the same word that he begins the chapter with, the word yiskon, Eliphaz tells Eov how to get back on the right side of God. Halael yiskon gever ki yiskon alemo maskil. Does man provide benefit for God? Indeed, a wise man provides only benefit only for himself. Does God benefit in, in your being justified? Is there profit to him when your conduct is proven flawless? You think it is because of fear that God will come to rebuke you or to have words with you in court that he will come to you in a court case. The word rebuke here, lochiach, really is meant in a legal sense. Someone who comes to court to argue his case or to accuse uh, or argue with the opposite party. I also translated miyiratcha a bit vaguely. It could be, um, do you think that God is going to come to court because you're so in awe of him? But I, I think the intent actually is that um, that God has no... Do you, do you think that God has fear of you, Eov? Which means that Eliphaz is being sarcastic. God fears nothing, not you, Eov, nor any other man. And Eov will not be able to either bribe or browbeat God into making an appearance, no matter how long he goes on and talks. The point overall, though, is not just against Eov himself, but in man in general. And the idea is that man needs God and not vice versa. Finally, Eliphaz gives Eov what he's been waiting for, a list of sins that justify the punishments which have been cast down upon Eov. The list is based on the fact that Eov was a judge and a leader of a city, or maybe even a whole city-state, a position that Eov held, which became apparent in Eliphaz's first speech, if we didn't understand it already from the first two chapters, considering Eov's great wealth. It is a litany, that is, the list of sins is really a litany of the kind of malfeasance that a judge, specifically a judge, does against his subjects by acting in an immoral and end in proper way. Isn't it true that your evil doings are numerous and there is no end to your iniquities? Indeed, you imprisoned your brothers without cause and you stripped 
stripped the naked of their clothes, meaning you stripped them of what very little they had, or maybe you stripped people of their position, possessions until they were naked. Lo mayim ayev ra'ev You refused water to sate the weary, and you withheld bread, food, from the starving. Ve'ish zeroa lo ha'aretz unesufanim yeshev bah. Man of arms, that is warlords, were given the land and cronies ruled over it. Your cronies is probably what he means. People that you recognize their face when you came, when they came to you in a court. The implication is that Eov, as the designing judge on property disputes, favored his friends and those with wealth and power. The word yeshev, by the way, or yeshev here, can mean to rule and not just to sit or to dwell, such as in the verse Vayeshev Hashem Melech Leolam that God sits in as a king, he rules over the whole world. You dismissed, you cast out widows with nothing, the limbs of orphans were crushed. Alkain for all of these things you are surrounded by traps and fear has shaken you so suddenly. Or in darkness, and I'm inserting an implied preposition as in that in darkness you are blinded and rushing waters engulf you. Wow, that certainly gets to the point. He accuses Eov of essentially transgressing every sin that a judge and ruler can can transgress against uh, his helpless people, his helpless charges. And if these charges, as in these accusations, were true, one would certainly understand Eov's ruination. However, even if we didn't know from chapters 1 and 2 that Eov is innocent, and all of this is a, a test of faith, the litany really seems too much to believe. It's as if uh, he uh, sort of went down the list one by one in the Bible to figure out how he can do judging in the most possibly immoral way. Anyway, that's how Eliphaz sees it, or that's how Eliphaz needs to say it, because he needs to respond to Eov saying, so what did I do? So after he, Eliphaz says, all right, I'll tell you what you did, everything. Next, Eliphaz is going to explain how God doesn't, that Eov doesn't understand God either. Why? Because the very nature of God as ascendant has caused Eov to misunderstand God's existence. Hello, Eloah, Govah, Shamayim, Re'ei Rosh Kochavim, Kiramu. Isn't it true that God is at the height of the heavens, that he sees the top of the constellations no matter how high? Ve'amarta, Mayadael, but you, you, Eov said, what can God know? Can he judge from up in the clouds? The words Arafel foreshadows Eliphaz's criticism, since it indicates something that is obscure, something that, that gets in the way of seeing something correctly. Sure, Eov, you believe in God on high, Eliphaz is saying, but you think that because he's so high, you think that because he's so high, that prevents him from understanding and judging correctly what people are doing down here on the earth. Still quoting what Eliphaz assumes that Eov said, Avim lo The clouds have obscured before him, and he cannot see. The height of the heavens are where he walks. The word chug means heights, but it also comes from the word circle, because the ancients saw the orbits as great half-domes that encapsulated the earth. 
uh, the various heavenly bodies trans, tra- traverse these domes, which existed at different heights, which gets us into a separate issue, which probably I should spend a little bit of time on right now, which is the following question. If it's a prophetic book, that is, if it's the word of God, how could the prophet who wrote it down have been so wrong about science to think that the sun and the moon and the stars went around these transparent domes that uh, circle the earth? But uh, don't worry. The answer is a very, very simple one. First, except for Moses, except for Moshe, prophets only saw images, and not all of those images were clear. And that's ex- that's stated explicitly in uh, in Sefer Bimidbar, chapter twelve, where God says, "Only to Moshe do I speak directly. Everybody else sees it in nights and night images, dreams, and visions." Those images which are conveyed, which, which, whose goal is to convey God's message, and which the prophet not only has to interpret, but he has to figure out how to convey it to his or her audience in a meaningful and comprehensible way. So a prophet who receives an image about God's transcendence, as is happening here, can only express it based on the reality that they themselves know, as well as the way that they could describe it to the audience who was going to hear it. If the prophet or, or his or her audience thought that the orbits were great domes surrounding the earth and God sat on top of all of those making them go, then that's how they described it. That doesn't make the message less meaningful. That is, unless you personally want to reject the prophet because he doesn't have a PhD in astrophysics and know everything that, uh, that Einstein does, the fact that he's describing it in a way which is not scientifically accurate to today doesn't change the message that's getting across because the Tanakh is not a science book. It's a book of God's messages to man and those messages are expressed using a language and imagery that was within the purview, the worldview of whatever the giving prophet was able to see and express and whatever his audience was able to perceive and comprehend. Anyway, getting back to the book of Eov, Eliphaz instructs Eov as follows, Ha'orach olam tishmor, asher darachum aven. Pay attention to the way of the world, the way that has been treaded on by sinful people. Asher kumatu velo eit nahar yutzaki sodam. That they have been seized suddenly, that rivers have washed away their foundation. Now, again, Eliphaz quotes Eov to use his words against him. Ha-omerim, that is, which wicked people am I talking about? Ha-omerim la'el sur mimenu umayif al shadai lamo. The wicked who you, Eov, quoted in your, in your previous speech as follows. Ha-omerim, the ones who say to God, get away from me, and what good can it, can God do for them, or do for me? V'hu milei tov. About whom you, Eov, said that he, God, has filled their homes with all good things, while you, Eov, said, no, no, the plans and advice of the wicked are distant from me. Meaning, even though everything works out for them and they reject God and God still makes it all work out for them, I'm not going to have any part of that. So I think Eliphaz is accusing Eov of being disingenuous. On one hand, you spend a lot of time describing how wonderful they are and how fantastic they are in that they're able to reject God while benefiting of every good thing. And on the other hand, you say, oh, I don't want any of that. But to quote Shakespeare, the lady protests too much, methinks. So he thinks that Eov may be a little too, uh, he may have a little bit too inside information 
reflection on what the wicked uh, managed to uh, enjoy. And when he says, but I don't want any of that, it's uh, probably uh, less than completely true. According to Eliphaz, the end of the wicked is actually as follows. Yerud Sadikim, or the end of, not the wicked, but the end of how things will work out for the good and the wicked will really be as follows. Yerud Sadikim v'yismachov v'naki yelaglamo. The righteous will see and rejoice, and the innocent will laugh in scorn at them, that is, at the wicked. When our existence, Kimanu, is not undermined, but the remnants of them will be devoured in flames. So the word Kimanu is very difficult. As is, the truth is this entire verse is difficult. But I think the sense is that in the end, the wicked will, 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 will get theirs. And that's really the point. Of course, Eov's argument was that payback to the, that ultimate far in the distance payback to some children or offspring is a little too late. But Eliphaz simply doesn't see it like that. The end is what counts. And as long as, it, as in the end, the wicked uh, finally are wiped out, even if it's generations in the future, which means, which is what he meant by Vietram and their remainders, uh, uh will be eaten by fire. However, distance in the future that might be, the fact that in the end they get it is what counts. And now Eliphaz suggests a path of restoration for Eov, beginning, as I mentioned, with the word Liskon, to help or to aid, as he did in the beginning of the chapter. But there, in the beginning of the chapter, he asked acerbically, do you think that you can be a benefit to, to God? Or more philosophically, man doesn't need God's benefit. Instead, this is the way to behave. Haskein na imo ushlam. Bahem tova. Take aid with him. That is, let him be an benefit to you. Ushlam. And be complete. Or be at peace. Or be secure. Or perhaps make your peace with him. With all of that, Bahem tova. Your future will be good. Take instruction from his mouth and place his words in your heart. If you return to God, if you do tshuva, you will be restored. So distance the evil from your tents. Or perhaps if you return to God, then these evil things, these troubles, will be distanced from your tents, from your family. The word betzer or batzer here probably means treasure. The word betzer originally meant a closed Fist, which is why when we say shnat bitsoret, it means a year of famine, since God, as it were, closes his fist on the rain and on the produce. So Eliphaz, in a further attempt to get Eov to do tshuva, says, put your treasure, which Eliphaz accused uh, Eov of taking as an ill-gotten gains when he was a judge, put your treasure on the ground and set out your gold of Ophir like stones on the riverbeds. Ophir was a country, probably on the east coast of the Red Sea, south of Egypt, which was known for its abundance of high-quality gold. So essentially he's saying, splay it all out on the ground so that it's just like the rocks in the ground, walk away from your ill-gotten gains. And let God be your treasure. Let let He'll be your betzer, the silver that brings your elevation. That is, make God into your money, into the things that you value, the things that you store away. Throw away the money that you've replaced Him with. Ki az al shaday titanak. 
Vitisael Eloah Panecha. For then on Shaddai, on God, will you rejoice, and you will raise your face, that is in pride and satisfaction, with no more ruin to God. Ta'atir elav v'yishma'eka unadarecha tishalem of entreating him and he will hear you and then you can honor your vows or then but you must honor your vows. Presumably these vows are the ones made uh, if God will save a person like a person is in big trouble they say oh if only God will save me I promise to do uh, X, Y, and Z. I'll give 20% more charity. Of course Eov as far as we've seen hasn't made any vows because the truth is he hasn't Think, he doesn't think he's done anything wrong. So what's the point of of promising to do better if he thinks he's been fine? But Eliphaz sees Eov the way he expects to see him, as a person who secretly knows his sins and promises, must have made some promises to do God good things if only God will restore him. V'tigzar omer v'yakom lach if you commit to your promise and keep to it, then light will shine on every way you go. Everywhere you go, light will shine. When they are brought down, it's hard to say who the way the they is who is brought down here. Uh, it could be evil people, wicked people, or it could be the people that Eov brought down in his corrupt court. You will say, get up, or be up on high, or I am up on high. The word gave comes from the word gava, but in a positive sense, although it's not clear who he is saying those words to. And downcast, v'shachinayim, downcast eyes will be elevated. Literally, Yoshia means saved. Vimalet i naki. When will he rescue the guilty? You will escape. So he turns to him finally, face to face, and he says, you will escape when your hands are pure. The approach of Eliphaz is, in the end, quite simple. Here are, and maybe simplistic, here are your sins, and that's why you suffer. Don't think you're smarter than God because he sees everything. And when you come to understand all of this, and when you put away your sins, and when you keep your vows, then you'll be guaranteed salvation. It's so simple. But let's not be surprised when Eov is wholly and completely unimpressed.